Today, we begin a new series we're affectionately calling Seriously. If you're anything like me, you've probably found yourself reading or watching the news lately and asking yourself how we got to this point. <laughs> how the world got so polarized and people so vengeful. Someone shoots somebody over a bowling ball. Seriously? Someone kills another over too much mayo on their Subway sandwich. Seriously? Over 300 mass shootings this year, according to the Washington Post. And still little meaningful gun reform in the U.S. Seriously? According to Zillow, looked up just yesterday, medium rent prices in the city of Atlanta are $2,214 a month. Your 40-hour-a-week hourly rate needs to be $38 an hour in order to sign that lease on your own. Seriously? Last month, the Respect for Marriage Act, attempting to codify same-sex and interracial marriage into law, it passed the House, and many news reports covered that. But what they didn't say is that 157 Congress members voted against it. Seriously? An average hospital bill for giving birth in Georgia is close to $15,000, CBS News writes. And now, according to the New York Times, just this week, elected officials in multiple states are trying to ban books that deal with racism, sexism, and general American history. Seriously? I could go on and on about the ridiculous nature of society lately, throwing my hands up each time saying, seriously? Seriously is, is an expression we use to express our frustration at the order of events that goes against our understood ethics, that goes against what we know to be right and fair, and goes against what we know God would want for our world. We say seriously because we understand that there is a better way, a more holy way. We say seriously because we know this cannot be God's way. Humanity must be revolting. We are losing our moral conscience and our concern for the Almighty and our neighbor. And while the escalation and the report, reporting may make these circumstances seem novel or new, unique to this season of life, the general patterns of human rebelling are not. I take small comfort in that. People have been doing their own thing instead of God's thing since the dawn of time. Remember Adam and Eve? God said, don't eat the fruit from this one tree, and Eve goes, Remember Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. They both made sacrifices to God, and God favors Abel's gift, and then Cain murders his brother. Remember Babel, when humanity and all their pride and ego try to build a tower to try to reach the heavens, they're scattered to the ends of the earth. Remember King Saul, 
blinded by his arrogance, jealous of a, a boy, a shepherd, the great warrior David, thinking he knows better than everybody else, including God, it eventually brings his family to ruin. And oh, David, King David, <laughs> not perfect himself either, was he? <laughs> sleeping with another man's wife, and then having him killed to cover up that infidelity. The pattern continues year after year, crimes of idolatry, of greed, misuse of power. And as humanity turns away, though, there have always been a few God-fearing people saying, seriously? <laughs> Hold the phone. They did what? <laughs> This is not God's way. Now, there's a special name for these type of people. The wait, hold up type of people. We call them prophets. They are people who have said, we know what the Lord's spoken. We know God's word and what is being done is not right. It's not okay. One of my favorite prophets is the prophet Micah. He speaks very directly and plainly to the people of Israel and Judah about their oppression of the poor and their turning away from the Almighty. He speaks of both judgment and hope as he warns about impending destruction and an invasion of Assyria and Babylon on their land. And as, as he does so, the people frantically come up to him and ask what they need to do to fend off this disaster. Did you hear what Dr. Long read earlier? People say, should I bring an armload of offerings topped with yearling calves? Would God be impressed with a thousand rams, with buckets and barrels of olive oil? Would he be moved if I sacrificed my firstborn child to cancel my sin? <laughs> Micah goes, don't be ridiculous. He's told you what to do. Be serious about doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. It's really a message that transcends time. How often do we turn away from God's way and then try to fix things on our own? I've called you a name. I've hurt your feelings, Mr. Bill. Maybe here's a gift to make it better, right? How much money would it cost to get this offense sponged from my record? What favor can I perform for you to forget this ever happened? Yet Micah is clear. Hear this. You can't fix a heart problem with material possessions, right? You must do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Now, there's a lot to unpack in these words, and that's why I wanted to spread this series out over three weeks, starting with the first component, justice. I also wanted to look at each of these components through the eyes of Christ. You, you remember, Pastor Jasmine's told us this a lot, that Jesus came to fulfill the words of the prophets, to help us understand God's way more clearly. 
And so looking at each of these ideals, these morals, through the words of Christ helps us see a fuller picture of God's vision for God's world today. So today we're going to look at justice in relation to one of Jesus' parables from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, starting with the first verse. The Gospel writer says, Then Jesus told them a parable about the need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of God for us, the beautiful and beloved people of God. Thanks be to God. From this passage, we learn several things about the justice of Jesus. First, it's not something that just happens. (laughs) It's a process that is intricately connected to the heart. The parable was told, the gospel writer says, about the need to pray always and to not be discouraged. In the story, the widow keeps coming to the judge. She keeps bothering him. And it is after this persistence that justice finally comes to her. The Lord says, I grant justice to my chosen ones who cry to me day and night. Justice is something that happens over time. In a 2012 interview with Alabama.com, famed civil rights attorney and founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, Brian Stevenson, was asked to define justice. Since he had dedicated his whole life to it, getting inmates off of death row, and what he said is notable. He said, I think justice is a constant struggle. That's as good a definition as I can come up with. Stephen's answer matches this definition from the parable. God's justice, the justice of Jesus, is not a momentary thing. It doesn't occur overnight. But when we keep pressure on the gas and work for a better world, Stevenson continues in that interview, and he says, I think that injustice is evident when people are not struggling to protect the norms, the values, the goals, the aspirations of the entire community. This, I think, is the second critical component of justice. We learn from this parable of the widow and the judge as well. Justice is more than about oneself. 
Why does the just judge not grant justice immediately? The scripture says that the judge did not fear God nor have respect for people. Justice does not occur if we are only thinking about ourselves, if it's me, me, me all the time and not we, we, we. Justice will never occur. Doing justice is about thinking of others, about thinking about God, about thinking about the higher way. The Hebrew understanding and justice, the Hebrew word for justice, is very closely correlated to right relationships with God and with one another. There are many times people get caught with saying they're doing justice. But what they're really doing is practicing performative justice, or what we call performative allyship. When they're faming support and advocating for others, but what they're really doing is what's best for them. We saw this <laughs> earlier this month. We always see it during Black History Month and on Juneteenth and during Pride Month. When saying Black Lives Matter and love wins is the best for a company's bottom line. I, I will not forget it. Walmart released this past year a great value. <laughs> Juneteenth <laughs> and Pride Month ice cream. <laughs> what does that have to do with celebrating love and freedom and emancipation? What does that have to do with restitution? What does that have to do with correcting the record, with bringing future prosperity to all people? The answer is nothing, nothing. True justice, the justice of Jesus, is about genuine concern and compassion for our neighbors. What Reverend Tillman was talking about last week, and I hate to tell you, but it will most likely cost us something whether it's resources or time or energy or friendships. Melanie, during our sacred cinema small group, uh, we, over the last study, we watched the 2021 documentary film, American Factory. It's about a GM plant that opens in, about a GM plant that closes rather in Dayton, Ohio. And after some time, a year or so, it's reopened by a Chinese company, the Fu Yao Group. And it's a powerful documentary because it reveals the opportunities and challenges that come with such an investment. The company gives this dying town back a lot of jobs. But the jobs also pay a lot less than what GM was paying. In part of the film, the director follows a group fighting to unionize within the company to receive fairer wages and a safer work environment. And one of the biggest proponents of this is a forklift operator named Jill. She makes signs and t-shirts and speaks up in meetings and attends city council events because she believes her colleagues and herself deserve better. She is fighting for justice. Yet we learn at the end of the film, for her work, she eventually loses her job. She wonders if she should have done it at all. Got to that point in the film and I wanted to reach through my TV screen and say, yes, Jill, you believed in something better. You knew your worth and you knew your co-worker's worth. 
you had respect for people, unlike the judge, and you gave it your all. That's justice. Justice is what? One, an enduring struggle. Two, in community, for community. Three, for liberation. This, I believe, is the last component of justice of God. You see, it's clear from the parable that the widow is bound in a struggle with an opponent, but it's unclear exactly what this struggle is. But I'm not sure it really matters. There is regular warnings throughout the rest of Scripture to take care of the widow, along with the orphan and the outsider. There is an implication that widows in the biblical period were marginalized in some capacity. And it's interesting that this is the character that Jesus uses to make his point. Yet he tells us very little about her circumstance. Could it be that the justice that the widow seeks, in a lot of ways, is mere recognition? Freedom to speak and to be heard. Equal respect in society the opportunity to live full and abundant life. When she says, grant me justice against my adversary, she could easily have said, hear my cry. Make life abundant possible for me, please, oh please. This, in a lot of ways, is what liberation is. It's, it's an awareness, a consciousness, an acceptance, and a respect that flourishing for all is possible. It is about equality and equity and so much more. The widow is pleading for the system to stop treating her and anyone else like her as less than. This is justice. When Micah calls the people to do justice, when Jesus says, do justice, this is what it means. Engage in the ongoing work in community for the liberation of all. That is to do justice. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Engage in the ongoing work in community. Turn to your neighbor for the liberation of all. Now, there are many ways to remember the importance of the work of justice. But I think none more powerful, Dr. Long, than the sacrament we are about to partake in. Communion, you see, is an opportunity to remember the gravity, the vitalness of right relationships of the constant need for grace, for atonement, for relationship with God and one another, to remember we are not alone and that Christ has already done a lot of the heavy lifting for us. It's a time to say, yes, I will join this journey of faith and I will walk in community for liberation, too.